turns out that eating eggs really doesn't impact our cholesterol the way that we used to think it did. And it actually applies both to adults and pediatrics. So there's really no reason to limit eggs. It's a great source of protein. It's easy on parents to prepare. Are you ready to transform the way you communicate about nutrition with your patients? Welcome to Exam Room Nutrition, the podcast where the worlds of nutrition, medicine, and communication collide. Whether you're a seasoned physician or a healthcare student, this podcast is for you. So stick around and let's make our patients healthier one exam room at a time. Welcome back to the Exam Room Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Sloan. I'm a registered dietitian and pediatric PA. Does anyone remember the show Mythbusters, where two Hollywood special effects experts attempt to debunk urban legends by directly testing them? I loved this show because I love science and I love truth. And I think that's exactly why I love nutrition and medicine, because it blends the two together so nicely. And so for today's episode, we will be having my version of Nutrition Mythbusters, pediatric nutrition style. And to help me uncover the truth about six different nutrition claims, Ayelet Goldhaber is with me today. Ayelet is a pediatric dietitian with specialty in infant and toddler nutrition, allergies, and nutritional aspects of complex care management. Currently working in both private practice and at a major teaching hospital in New York City. You can follow her on Instagram, and that's where I met her, so I highly recommend that you follow. All of her content is fantastic. You can find her at The Kids Nutritionist. Ayelet, welcome to the show. Hey, Colleen. Thanks for having me. So I'm so excited to do this because, like I said, I really love the Mythbusters show. So I think this is going to be a really fun concept to really clarify some of those myths that some of our patients might come to us and asking for our opinions on. All right, so let's just jump it right into myth number one. So the first myth that somebody might come to us is that we should limit eggs and egg yolk to prevent high cholesterol and fat. What do we say back to that? I love this question because I get it all the time. It turns out that eating eggs really doesn't impact our cholesterol the way that we used to think it did. And it actually applies both to adults and pediatrics. So there's really no reason to limit eggs. It's a great source of protein. It's easy on parents to prepare. We can prepare it ahead of time. We can even make scrambled eggs in little egg cups and freeze them. We can do it hard-boiled. We can cook with them. They're so great to have on hand. There's no reason to limit. It will not impact your baby's cholesterol. Beautiful. Now, since we're on the topic of eggs, I'm going to just linger here a little bit, although it's not part of this myth. I know some people are asking this, and this comes up a lot. You know, the recommendations to introduce eggs earlier has been newer. My question to you to clarify some egg questions is, do we need to separate the yolk from the white the first time we introduce it, or can we just give it together like as in a scrambled egg? So we can serve them together the first time, the second time, anytime. It turns out that the yolk is a really great source of healthy fat for babies. It has a lot of nutritional value. The white part does too, but there's no reason to separate them. In fact, when we talk about introducing allergies, we're talking about the whole egg altogether. So there's no reason to separate one, wait, and then give the other. You can go ahead and just give egg as all in one. Awesome. Thank you. And then you guys got a little bonus in myth number one. So we'll move on to myth number two. Now, I hear this a lot with families who are first starting to introduce solids. And this is the myth of giving a baby fruit first will prevent them from liking veggies. What do we say to that? 
So there is no concrete evidence that this is true. In fact, even anecdotally, it's likely not true. We eat all kinds of different flavors, and it doesn't mean we're not going to like one over the other. It might mean we have likes and dislikes, which is normal. But just because we're eating fruit doesn't mean that we're not going to like other flavors too. I think fruit is a great way to introduce all kinds of nutrients and vitamins and even extra hydration and fiber to your baby. There's no reason to hold off. And we really don't think that that's the case. It doesn't mean they're not going to like vegetables. As long as we continue to introduce everything and continue to provide a varied diet, they're likely to not really play a role. I love that. That's great. And and kids really love fruit. You know, it's sweeter. It tends to be more palatable for them. So no need to avoid introducing those foods. So awesome. Let's move on to myth number three. And this one comes up a lot in pediatrics in the topic of milk. And the myth is that kids must change to low-fat milk at age two. What do we say to this myth? Okay. I think that this is simply no longer the case. <laughs> this has been a lingering recommendation. However, we also have new evidence that milk fat is actually really good fat. So it provides a lot of nutritional advantage. And we also know that kids aren't gaining excessive amounts of weight as a result of drinking whole milk. They're likely gaining excessive amounts of weight from sugar, from junk food, from fried food. It's really a lingering recommendation back from when we didn't understand where the pediatric obesity was coming from. I love to recommend to all my patients and my clients that we continue whole milk throughout because it's so good for you. It's satiating. It has a nutritional advantage. So I don't think that there's a need to switch immediately to lower fat. And this might be a caveat, right? You know, these are general recommendations. So of course, if we, if we have a toddler who is well above the 100th percentile and maybe they're extremely selective eaters, so they are drinking, let's just say over 34, 36 ounces of whole milk, might that be a scenario where we might suggest switching to whole milk or would it just be total volume that we would recommend to cut back on? It probably would be total volume. I would say we do know that drinking too much milk has some downside as well. So I would probably work with that toddler to introduce other sources of nutrition and introduce other sources of hydration to kind of reduce the milk volume and allow for other foods to enter into the picture. Awesome. Super helpful. All right, let's move on to myth number four. And I hear this one a lot, and it probably came from some older guidelines and older literature, but I think it can be quite overwhelming for parents. So the claim states that children must have been exposed to 100 foods by year one. Is that true or is that busted? Busted. This makes me crazy. I mean, talk about pressure for a parent, right? To have to not only introduce foods, but to count them as you're introducing them, and then to keep a tally for a full year, this is totally busted. There is no reason for this. There's no evidence that we need a certain amount of foods by a certain age. We just want to encourage positivity around eating at a young age. So accepting foods that they enjoy, offering a variety of foods, offering family foods, foods that other family members are eating are really great. So a lot of kids will probably naturally hit this mark but there's no reason to count it and there's no reason to add extra stress to the family. Love that. Yeah. Keep it simple because that's overwhelming to me. Even I'm sitting here thinking, 
gosh, like a hundred foods, do I eat that variety in two or three days? Probably not, right? We all have our preferences. We all have foods that we gravitate toward and your preferences can change and they kind of ebb and flow over time and with the seasons. So I love that you just encourage to keep it simple and to not stress about the the variety of foods as long as you're being consistent and offering a variety. All right, so let's move on to myth number five. The claim states that babies cannot have spices or seasonings. All right, what are your thoughts on that? They definitely can have spices and seasonings. In fact, introducing these things early, it could potentially be related to a broader palate, better acceptance of different foods. So there's no need to add, you know, a ton of hot sauce to your baby's scrambled eggs in the morning, but you could definitely do things like adding a little bit of seasoning or flavor. I know with my kids, I love to add oregano to their scrambled eggs. It's just like a subtle way to introduce flavor, using things like a little bit of paprika here and there, even cinnamon, a little bit of maple syrup, garlic. Really, we want them to be eating similarly to the way that you're eating. So if there's a flavor or a spice that your family loves, go ahead and bring that into baby's palate. Also, there's no harm. There's no risk to their stomach. There's no problem with introducing flavor. I would say go for it. And flavor makes food fun, right? I mean, I don't really enjoy eating bland zucchini or plain, you know, meat. You need to add a little spice and a little flavor. So go for it. And especially some cultures are extremely flavorful. You know, the Indian cuisine and even the Haitian Creole cuisine is full of flavor. And I love that you mentioned that we should be preparing foods for the entire family. So however you eat your food is how your baby should eat their food. Make it consistent. I always tell my patients, hey, it's one family, one meal. We're all eating the same foods. You might need to adjust the consistency or the bite sizes, but it should be the same meal. So keep those seasonings and those spices in your meals. All right. This is the last one. This is myth number six. So the claim states that toddlers throw food because they don't like it. And I know this is a huge concern for a lot of parents. A lot of parents of toddlers, they put them in the chair and they're just throwing the food, throwing the plate. So this can be extremely stressful in the mealtime situation. So help us debunk this myth and give us some solutions on what we can do for that food throwing toddler. Okay. Lots of toddlers and babies throw food. So number one is you're not alone. If your kitchen floor is just covered all the time and you're walking around stepping on blueberries and scrambled eggs, totally normal. <laughs> so there's probably a few reasons why kids throw food, toddlers specifically. One is it's funny and they are getting to watch something actually happen in real time. That's exciting to them. So taking the food, dropping it and seeing it on the floor, that's actually like a cause and effect kind of thing. That's really interesting to them. So they're probably doing it because they think it's fun, right? And it is fun and it's hilarious. Same with like a water bottle dropping to the floor. It's like a drop and then a boom, right? And then they get a reaction from us. So there's a lot happening that's really exciting to them. That's one. Sometimes they throw food because they're done. Maybe they're not hungry. Maybe they're feeling full. So maybe the meal was going great and then all of a sudden they're throwing food and we're feeling like, oh no, what happens? We hit a wall. Well, that might be their way of saying, I'm dying, get me out of this high chair. I want to roll around. And we can say, okay, no problem. Come on out, right? It might just be a really good way for us to understand what the baby or the toddler is feeling at that time. I would also say that they throw food because they just don't know what else to do sometimes and it just falls off, right? So there's a lot of reasons why they're doing it. It's 
it could be that they don't like the food, but more likely right. it's it's one of those things. It's that they think it's fun, they're getting a rise out of you, or they're just trying to tell you something, like get me out of this high chair, I'm finished, I'm full. So um, my best tips are to resist the urge to overreact, right? We always be like, oh my God, this is such a mess, stop throwing food, because it's not acceptable for us to throw food, right? But they'll learn that in time. And so we just have to give them a little bit of grace and we have to listen to what they're telling us. So listen to their cues. If they're saying, no thanks, I'm done, take them out and the meal. You know, there's going to be a snack or another meal a couple hours later. No biggie. And then also kind of curtail your reaction, right? You might say, okay, you dropped food. No biggie, right? And then the, the reaction and the behavior might actually stop. So lots of reasons why toddlers are doing it, but usually... It's not just because they're feeling angry and they want to make you a little crazy. And it's not always that they don't like the food. It could be a whole myriad of things. So helpful. And I know that this is so common. I think every toddler and, you know, older infant does this because you're right. It's so fun. And I have so many pictures of my daughter when she was little, she would take little pieces of her oatmeal and feed it to our dog. So if you've got pets in the house, talk about fun because now you're getting a rise out of the dog who is just enamored with this little sticky, sweet, delicious toddler throwing food at them. So I think you're right. Just kind of curtail your response a little bit and don't make it a big deal. They will eventually learn how to behave at the table. And I think another important thing is, is making sure that the parents are sitting down with the toddler. You know, it's no fun if everybody else is playing or sitting on the couch or doing something else. And the toddler's just sitting there in the high chair alone. Nobody likes to eat alone. So those family meals are extremely important. Well, this episode of Mythbusters was so fun, Isla. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else that you would like to leave our pediatric practitioners? Any final pieces of wisdom that you think might be helpful to them? I would say lean into your dietitians. Use them. That's what we're here for. We love talking about food. We love talking about challenges around food. We love helping families make it a little bit easier wherever we can. So use us. We love to be part of the team. Collaboration is so great. I would say like my best clinical experiences and outcomes have come from working very closely with physicians on a case together and being able to kind of ping pong and, and, and share our ideas back and forth. And I feel that that has always led to the best success with our patient population. So use us. We like to be part of the team. Yes, I love it. And if you have any questions or maybe any nutrition claims that you would like busted by Ayelet, please go ahead and reach out to her at Instagram at the kids nutritionist. You can always send me a message as well at Instagram at exam room nutrition. Ayelet, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful for the gift that you provided us. I know you're super busy. You're a mama yourself. You're working. So thanks so much for jumping on. We'd love to have you back again. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Philly. Before we move on to my nutrition notes segment, I wanted to let you know that we have partnered with Patricia Skolnick Nutrition for all things gut health. Patricia is a registered dietitian specializing in GI disorders, and she's currently accepting new clients. Refer your patients to her website at www.patriciaskolnicknutrition.com. If you use code examroomnutrition at checkout, you'll get 10% off any of her products available. And if you're looking for a more comprehensive answer to improving your GI symptoms, the Digest Health Back to Basics program is open for enrollment. This is a six-week hybrid virtual group program to get you started on your digestive health journey. This program has limited spots and gets started at the week of September 4th. Don't forget to use code exam room nutrition at checkout to receive 10% off all of her programs. 
All right, guys, now it's time for my nutrition notes. In this section, I will leave you with a nutrition tip, an encouraging quote, or an interesting case that I think might add value to your day. So today I'm going to leave you with a nutrition tip, and this is to continue the discussion that we just ended with in regards to toddlers throwing food if they're in a high chair. And I wanted to touch on what things you need to look for in a high chair to make sure that your child is appropriately set up in their chair. Because optimal positioning in the high chair is the key to safe and successful feeding. First of all, you need to make sure that your baby can sit unassisted on the floor on their own. This just ensures that they have adequate trunk strength to be able to safely sit in a high chair. If the baby can sit unassisted and you need to put a few cushions in or around the high chair, you can do so just to prevent them from squirming around too much. And a great rule of thumb for safe high chair positioning is the 90-90-90 rule. And this means that the child should be sitting and have a 90 degree angle at their hips, at their knees, and at their ankles. This allows for stability throughout the whole body. An angle at the hips and knees is natural in the sitting position, but the angle at the ankles can sometimes be difficult to achieve. So this is where you might want to purchase or make sure that your high chair has a footrest. These can be adjustable as well, which I highly recommend because then it can grow with your baby as they get to the toddler age. You might need to lower it down so that they can sit more comfortably. Regarding the tray, make sure the baby is sitting close to the tray and it should be at about the belly button level. This just ensures that the food is easy to reach. I hope you found value in today's content. And if you could please like this video on YouTube or subscribe to my channel, if you're listening on a podcast, I would love if you could leave me a five-star rating or even leave me a review. This just helps other clinicians find this valuable podcast. If you have any questions for me or you would like to reach out, you can send me a message on Instagram at examroomnutrition. Well, that's all for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful that you guys spend this time with me and I really hope to be providing you with valuable content that you think is useful in your daily practice. Well, as always, let's continue to make our patients healthier one exam room at a time. I'll see you next time.